choir boy sings the first verse of Once in Royal David's City at the annual carol service at Pembroke College Chapel in Oxford. Among the boys in the choir are two Muslim brothers, Zach and Solomon. Do you think about God when you're singing, Solomon? Not in the sort of Christian way, but sort of. I'm Zubaydah Malik, and for this Things Unseen Christmas podcast, I'm going to explore some of the reasons why people who aren't Christians sing in church choirs, especially at Christmas. I became intrigued by this question when I spotted a turban-wearing Sikh in the choir at the Queen's funeral. So did many other people, it seems, including these two presenters on Britasia TV. And there was, you know, different ethnicities in the choir, and there was a singer, mm-hmm. you know, and he stood out. He did. And a lot of people gave different opinions and feedbacks on the saying doing choir. There's a lot of people that gave him a lot of grief that he shouldn't be in the choir because he's a Sikh and he shouldn't be singing, etc., etc. But as we were growing up at school, we sang in choirs and we sang Christmas carols. And we sang... So how does singing in a Christian choir affect your spiritual outlook if you belong to another faith? Do these singers feel they're compromising their own beliefs in any way? Or does the spiritual experience of singing simply enhance their own faith? I'm Zach, I'm 13 years old. I like to play the viola and the piano. I'm Solomon, I'm 10. I started playing the piano um, at four, but not properly. Uh, my oboe, I started playing it a year ago, and I'm on uh, grade three. And did you choose those instruments? Uh, no. <laughs> Dad chose them for you. Yeah. If you could choose the instruments yourself, that you want to play, rather than Dad picking them for you, what would they be? Um, it's kind of hard to know because... Since we've already got used to the instruments we've been playing. So we don't know what it's like to be able to play another instrument, so... We don't secretly harbour playing the trumpet or the trombone or... No, we no, didn't. That's no, that's too loud for yeah. the cat. <laughs> everybody else and uh, when there's a sermon uh, we we listen but sometimes uh, we don't listen totally since it's not totally to do with our religion and in the in the choir do you discuss religion at all do the other members talk about Christianity do you talk about Islam is there any kind of communication about faith Generally not. I mean, that's stuff I uh, I find I'm often thinking about internally and you think of the um, religious complications of it and w- whether it means anything to your faith. 
but no, generally, we don't, it's not discussed. I mean, as a matter of fact, often you get a majority of non-Christians in the choirs. It's mostly for the singing ex experience and singing. What kind of other religions take part in the choir? I think there's a couple of Hindus, but uh, I think it's a majority of atheists. This is where you come and sing. Yes, so here is the anti-chapel. We have the organ, not up in a loft, but down on the ground. I'm Alistair Stone. I'm the senior organ scholar here at Pembroke College. I uh, play the organ and conduct the services, and I also rehearse the choir, including the choristers. Uh, quite a substantial portion of the choir aren't Christians. It's not something that I prioritise. Uh, I instead prioritise the musical ability of singers. Obviously, they have to respect the space and respect the purpose of the choir, which is for worship in this Christian setting. We wouldn't have a choir if we had that restriction because not all Christians want to sing this sort of music. And so actually imposing that rule would restrict worship. Bonneth, or middle of page 69, the soprano's voice is the soprano's sing. And so I understand you'll be singing a solo later today. Yes, I will be in the palestrina, the matin responsory, and I'll be doing a solo with another boy. And it's a bit difficult because I have to hold um, a certain note just above the area where my voice tends to break, so it, it'll be quite a challenge. Would you like to do a solo one day, like your brother? No, not really. I don't like stage fright. Stage fright. Oh dear. You sort of have to ponder for yourself, and while you're singing, you contemplate various hymns, and then you, and then you pick out which bits you believe in and which you don't. What are the questions to you? Well, I think about whether it really matters towards my faith. I find that it's quite easy to have a hold of what you're singing, and you, but no, it doesn't clash with, with faith. Can you give me an example? Uh, the parts praising God, those are quite neutral to, to a lot of faith, so you, uh, you can sort of accept that, but other bits, glorifying the Trinity, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, you have to pick out certain bits in, in your mind because we have only one God and don't believe in the Son of God, but I find that generally doesn't clash because I, I, I feel the belief can be very strong from inside. Do you think about God when you're singing, Solomon? Not in the sort of Christian way, but sort of. Being good at music, it's not something you can decide to be at a later age. So I wanted them to very much have that option, whether it was instrumentally or, or, or vocally. This is Ravim, Zach and Solomon's dad. By enrolling his children in a Christian choir, he believes he's giving them a strong musical education. As a Muslim, he reveres Jesus as a prophet. He has no qualms about his sons helping to lead a Christian act of worship. If it, if it helps the children get closer to God, think about God, the specifics, I don't think they've done a bad job in sorting through. And what's the Islamic tradition of singing? There is some singing which is inescapably part of Islam. So, so the recitation of the Quran is musical when it comes to scales, intervals, melodies. All of that stuff exists. And then when it comes to singing together, that's also a part of Islam in, in some places, although there are some groups that disapprove of that. How is Christmas marked in your house? Um, certainly as a national holiday, it's something to celebrate. Um, Religiously speaking, celebrating Jesus' 
never going to go down badly in a Muslim household anyway. When I was growing up, my father would source a turkey. <laughs> and it can be an excuse to have something special to eat, you know, watch special to watch on television, and sometimes go over stories of Jesus in the Islamic tradition. And th there's a, a Muslim nativity as well as a Christian nativity. Uh, Muslims believe in the virgin birth. Muslims believe in the miracles of Jesus. And Mary's role you know, as, a, as, a, as a unique uh, mother in history is also very much emphasised. You know, those are all things to uh, recall and celebrate. Hi. Hello. I'm Krishnan. Hi, nice to meet you. And you? <laughs> it's a lovely warm flat. Would you like us to take the shoes off? Uh, yes, please. Thank you. Hello, my name is Krishnan Ram Prasad. I started singing when I was a young boy, must have been about seven or eight. That was in Lancaster, um, where I grew up. And then I went to Cambridge, and I was, until very recently, I was singing with uh, a parish church there, St. Vigor's uh, Church in Fullbourne. What got you into singing as a child? The simple answer is, I liked the sound of what they were doing, so I got into it kind of that way. Uh, it wasn't something that I would have been exposed to if I didn't have those friends, I think. My father is Indian, he's a Hindu, and he grew up there and came to this country in the 80s. And my mum is English Christian, she grew up here. Not so much Church of England, they're more United Reformed Church background. Christian on one side, Hindu the other, kind of gives the idea of what, what I grew up with. I had a background at home where Religion was something that was always under discussion, but discussion is the key word. I was never told anything or given any straight answers about belief or God. Um, so it was something that was discussed at home, and then it would occasionally come up in the contexts of uh, being in church, not necessarily being in a choir, but just being around in a church. But generally speaking, I didn't really have any particularly long discussions or thoughts about this until I was older. And I know it's not an easy question to answer. Mm. How would you identify yourself... I think that's a good question, and the simplest answer I can give is it depends on the context. On a census, I will always put myself as a Hindu. Um, that's, how I, that's my kind of political identity, which is tied to the religious identity. I think there are very few circumstances in which I would describe myself as a Christian, um, but it depends a lot on the context. And if you grew up in this country with a name like Krishna Ramprasad, then the Hindu is going to be the thing that sticks out most, I think. It sounds complicated. Is it complicated to you? Of course, it is complicated. Religion is complicated. Identity is complicated. Um, and, yeah, as I say, as I get older, I look back on things which I took for granted as a child which do seem remarkable when you think about it. Such as? Well, such as I was at the same time as singing in the choir, I was doing classical Carnatic Indian singing, and I was spending my summers in India and we'd do temple tours there, but I would be in church on a Sunday. And to me, that always seemed quite unremarkable, but that's because it was my life. And actually, I think that it's not something that would be usual to a lot of other people. And could you just describe to me, what was Christmas Day like at home as a child? So Christmas Day was always the family day. I was never allowed to go and sing on Christmas Day. We have a morning and open presents, but our kind of big Christmas dinner on Christmas Eve, and I would sing Midnight Mass, and that's, for me, the kind of most exciting thing, especially as a child. To stay up that late is exciting on its own, but then to do it on Christmas Eve um, was doubly exciting. 
And a lot of hymns and carols are about divinity, God, Jesus being the son of God. Mm. How do you square that with your own beliefs? I think that when we drill down into the detail, the sort of dogma of various parts of um, the creed and, and Christianity, then it is true that I slightly lose a bit of focus there. There is an emotional connection with the story of Jesus Christ, but I think this is my approach of, you know, belief being somewhat secondary, and it's actually more about the actions that you're doing, and even indeed the acts of worship, more than it is about what you believe. What are the parallels between Hinduism and Christianity? And is there anything in the Christmas story that resonates? I think something which could be understood as a parallel is this idea of something divine becoming something human, right? So uh, incarnation, let's say, where God descends, if you think of heaven being upwards, or just appears uh, as, as a human being. At the Christmas story, yes, Jesus is the incarnation of the Son of God and God. Uh, and in, in Hinduism, the incarnation of gods as human beings somehow human, nevertheless very much divine, is very common. This is a story that happens with Rama and Krishna. In fact, another parallel is this particular focus on children and divine beings being children. So you have the baby Jesus. Jesus is meant to be quiet and meek and well-behaved, and Krishna is something of a rascal. This idea of something divine in humans and especially in children, there probably is a parallel there. And through all his wondrous childhood He would honour and obey Love and watch the gentle mother In whose tender arms he lay Christian children So there's a line when it comes to Jesus being well-behaved, uh, Christian children all must be mild, obedient, good as he. I think that's the line in, in Once in Royal David Cities. I, I wonder whether that's something which is in the Bible or whether it's something which is maybe a Victorian ideal of what children should be like, but certainly there, there is a difference there. Probably something which is the heart of Christmas for me is Adam Laybounden by Boris Ord, which every choir will do it around this time of year and gets me in the Christmas mood. any further, I think I might need some expert help. I'm neither a Christian nor a singer, but the Reverend Lucy Winkett is both. She's the rector of St James's Church Piccadilly and trained in music at the Royal College of Music. Hello, I'm Lucy. Hi. Hi, Lucy. Thank you very much for doing this. No worries. Now, do I nice call you, you Reverend Winkett or can just I call you Lucy? Lucy, Lucy. Okay. just Lucy. That's fine. Yeah. What a great idea for a podcast. Oh, thank you. It's really interesting. Yeah. And I'm learning loads because I know nothing about choirs okay. or hymns, carols, apart from the basics. So, Lucy, I wanted to make this podcast because when I was watching the Queen's funeral, I noticed that there was a Sikh chorister, and he was obviously a practising Sikh because he had a turban on, and I was completely amazed. I didn't realise that if you were not a practising Christian that you could sing in a choir. Is this a new thing, or has this been going on for quite a while? Yeah, I think it's been going on for a little while, but you're not wrong to be surprised. In previous decades, there used to be a requirement that you had to be baptised and to be confirmed as well. So, Lucy, can I have a brief history of choirs in this country? 
So very briefly and broadly, monks and nuns sing, so that's part of their worship for people. And then at the Reformation in Europe and in England, those two Reformations were slightly different, people started to sing for themselves in congregations. And in England, the Reformation took a kind of twin track, singing in the cathedrals, but also parish churches started to sing hymns. They started to sing psalms, and then gradually they moved into more vernacular poems and texts. Can music transcend differences between faiths? I, I would say yes. There's, there's a Christian writer called St Augustine who says that the person who sings prays twice. I would interpret that for a contemporary age to say that music is in itself a language of the human spirit. Of course, you can sing without words, you can play instruments, you can make a joyful noise to the Lord. I'm saying yes to the, your question. I think that music can absolutely connect us in ways that texts sometimes divide us. Just did this as a little, a little trio. Let's have a go. Here we are. Oh, Hello, my name is Kwan Kaurentakun, but feel free to call me Kwan. I am currently singing in Hearted Choir. We sing across Manchester, like not just in one church, and I sing soprano. So, Kwan, I've never been to Thailand. Is practising faith there very visible? Um, like, if you just walk around the city and you'll see, like, loads of Buddhist temples, sometimes you see monks, and even the architecture, I think. A lot um, of our literature and what we teach in school is based on Buddhism as well, but it's not that we don't have other religions. Yeah, you can also like see loads of like mosque, churches. It's actually a pretty integrated country. Do you sing in Buddhism? Is there a tradition of religious music in Buddhism? Sometimes there's music involved, but not in the form of singing. There's like chanting, but you know, it's more of like prayer. We chant about the key teachings of the religion. And then most of the chants are in Pali or Sanskrit, so it's not in the language that I speak. So if I don't know the meaning of the chant, then it's really hard to understand what is going on. And when you came to Britain, what made you want to join a choir? I've been singing my whole life. I'm doing music in university as well right now. I'm amazed by how... You know, like, I sing in churches and there's still so many people who attend comparing to back at home. I think they gather more people, you know. Hearted, we sing across Manchester, like, not just in one church. And every week that we go, like, there's always people there and I think they all go there to practice with intention. So beautiful that the rest of us forgot to come in over the page. Um, so let's just make sure everyone knows what's coming. To be honest, like at first, when I first joined, I felt a bit scared, especially if I sing in masses. I don't know what the order is, how people practice it, or like, when do I need to say amen? 
Is there anyone in the choir that you can sort of, you know, tap on the shoulder and say, please tell me about this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So sometimes I do ask, um, yeah, I just tell them, oh, what do I do now? Or yeah, like I just sort of, you know, it's a learning process as well. A couple notes. Um, when we get to the, the second verse piece, tenors don't get too overexcited by 24, 25. Um, we'll move it on slightly. There'll be a sense yeah. of sort of expanding, but don't push it too far, otherwise we just lose the ensemble a little bit. Yeah. Um, one, are you happy to do the solo? Lovely stuff. Amazing. From the top. story at the same time so for instance you talk about Mary and um, how Jesus Christ was born yeah so I've learned the Christmas stories through the music My name is Sophie Ross and I live in London and I sing alto in a church choir. Uh, I'm Jewish, um, so my uh, denomination within Judaism is called Mazorti um, and I live an observant Jewish life. And can you describe to me, how do you celebrate Christmas Day? Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't celebrate Christmas itself because I'm not Christian, but obviously we live in the UK, in a Christian country. Christmas is everywhere. Um, I love Christmas because of the music. Um, and we would have a Christmas dinner with family, obviously a kosher Christmas dinner. Um, all of the kosher butchers this time of year do sell turkeys um, and people definitely enjoy that aspect. Um, yeah, also, obviously, it's worth saying that um, Christmas is always around the same time of year as Hanukkah. Hanukkah is our Jewish festival of lights. Um, it's also a wonderful seasonal festival with all of its own delicacies. Um, and I think in the US there's even a concept of uh, Christmaka. So we do enjoy hosting a party for um, friends and having donuts, which people eat at Hanukkah, and a mince pie, obviously, for Christmas as well. Sounds amazing. And then do you sing Midnight Mass with your choir? Yeah, so this year um, in uh, the church, which is um, St Jude's Church in Hampstead Garden Suburb, um, a very beautiful grade one listed building there, we'll be singing uh, a carol service uh, later uh, on in December. Um, also we'll be singing Midnight Mass and also um, on a mass on Christmas morning as well. Would it be OK, Sophie, if you sang a verse for us? I'll sing In the Bleak Midwinter. Although we do have one other guest who's already sung that carol. Um... OK, well, let you sing a couple of verses and then I'll have to choose another one. OK. Angels and archangels may have gone. 
That was so beautiful, Sophie. I'm going to twist the producer's arm to make sure we have that in the podcast. And because it's a different version, so she can't say no to that. So many carols and readings at Christmas draw on Hebrew texts, which they interpret as referring to the coming of Jesus. Is that problematic for you in any way? I mean, it's not a problem for me that Christians have Christian beliefs, because I would expect them to. But I don't hold those same beliefs. Um, We don't take that view when it comes to those texts. So I think that's just the way that Christianity has expressed itself over time. And it's very interesting that they have reinterpreted those texts. That's just the story of religions globally. I mean, similarly, Islam has also, you know, taken on those same texts and incorporated that within Islam. How do you square that with your own faith? I actually think people in general go to places of worship a whole range of intentions. I mean, ask half the people who go to synagogue, they probably go for the food afterwards or to chat with their friend or to gossip and so on. And obviously people go to pray to God as well. So I don't think I would necessarily be alone in that sitting in a church. I'm sure there's other congregants who go because, you know, they're lonely or because they want to be in a community, etc. I'm not going um, as a worshipper. I'm going there to sing. Um, but my intention, we have a concept of intention um, in Judaism, Kavana, and my intention in going there is not to uh, pray. Christianity has its roots in Judaism. Um, you know, one God and values within Christianity and so on are very much in common with Judaism. Also, every week uh, in the Sunday morning service that I sing in, there's always a psalm, uh, which is very beautiful. I love the um, Christian psalm settings. Um, the words of those are obviously the psalms that's um, Tehillim in Hebrew that we um, say every day. Um, so many of the texts are, in fact, Jewish texts. Do you know many other Jews who sing in church choirs? Yes, I do know some. I think it just speaks to how British Jews are participating in all aspects of British society and how we're um, integrating and in community with our neighbours and I think this is just one example of that. You know, no religion is in a vacuum I guess but all taking influences from other communities and cultures, it might be in our clothing, it might be in our food and it's in our music as well. The holy and the ivy When they are both full grown Of all the trees that are in the wood The holly bears the crown oh the rising of the sun and the running of the deer the playing of the merry i think that the traditional carols often remind people of a kind of a past that they think was a kind of happier time and not for everyone of course but i think there's a lot of nostalgia in the singing of Christmas carols. And the fact that we don't sing them at any other time of the year means that you kind of mark the passing of time by Christmas. So the last time I sang this carol, you know, was the last time I was in that house or the last Christmas I had with my mother or the last, or or I look forward to a better Christmas next year when I can sing this carol. So the repetitive nature of it is quite curious in a way. So it's something to do with repetitive, familiarity, it's nostalgia. I don't think that's always a good thing, so I'm not just trying to say these are these are fantastic expressions of the Christian um, tradition, but I think that they do help people mark the passing of time in their lives. I've asked this question from all the people in the podcast, so I'm going to put it to you. What is your favourite carol? It came upon the midnight clear, and it's, it's a Victorian one, so it's a bit nostalgic, but it's for, it's for two... Um, 
it's for two lines in it. I'm trying to remember it's the second or third verse, but it's, um, it's not very inclusive language, but I'll use the old, the old one, which is, Man at war with man, hears not the love song which they bring. Oh, hush the noise, ye men of strife, and hear the angels sing. So the, the image that's, that that evokes there is that we're at each... You know, we are... The world is a violent and cruel place quite often, and we don't behave very well as human beings. There is a constant glory just beyond our grasp which is saying peace peace on earth goodwill towards everyone that you meet so there's a kind of message of a very deep other centered ethic of kindness and peace and love that is right there and it's kind of shimmering and it's being sung right now even though we often can't hear it that's another carol i'm gonna have to check out now <laughs> could you give us a blast lucy <laughs> And man at war with man is not the love song which they sing. Oh, hush the noise, ye men of strife, and hear the angels sing. It's lovely, Lucy. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. What I've learnt while making this podcast is that being in a choir is about being part of a community, about singing, even releasing happy hormones when you sing. How important are choirs and singing together for our lives in society today, would you say? I think they're completely vital. And the growth of community choirs in the last maybe 10, 15 years has shown that. So in a choir, you're, you're finding your own voice, but you're not singing alone. And if you're reading music, and you know, you don't have to be able to read music, but if you are reading the music, then there'll be periods of time called rests where you have to be quiet. And I think there's a great metaphor for life in that, that you, that you, uh, you find your voice, you make your own contribution, you say what you've got to say, and there are times when you have to be silent to allow another person's voice to come through. If you're not resting, then that person's voice won't be heard but you're complimentary. And I think there's another, there's another really important bit about singing in a choir, which is that it helps you deal with what in musical terms is called dissonance or difference. So you don't always have to be in harmony. I mean, you, you can sing different stuff and that can still be uh, creative and that can still be creating something bigger than the, the sum of its parts. So it teaches you to listen and it teaches you to find your own voice and it also teaches you about how to handle difference of tone, of pitch, of rhythm, um, and, and to, make some, to make a society that is bigger than the sum of its parts. You've been listening to the Christmas edition of Things Unseen, the podcast for people of faith and those who are spiritually curious. Things Unseen was brought to you by CTVC. I'm Zubaydah Malik, and my producer was Rosie Dawson. And you can hear this podcast again and find other editions of Things Unseen at www.thingsunseen.co.uk. And with that, we wish all our listeners who are celebrating a very happy Christmas. <laughs>